Meredith Monday and stay with us. I just, uh, it's a Sunday, as uh, people who listen to this, no doubt, uh, remember from every single other time we've recorded, there's always been a, <laughs> well, it's actually Sunday today, and uh, it's been a great Sunday. We, um, yeah, it's just all sorts of cool stuff. We added a member, we got, you know, baptized a guy, we, uh, we're we sort of going to be installing new deacons soon. So we're just kind of oh, rejoicing cool. in ecclesiology at the moment. <laughs> and I, I kind of pre, I preached on discipleship and membership and baptism and ecclesiology and and so I, I love it I love sort of getting you know that whole you know the whole um, the thing that Michael Horton's so good at doing where he talks about the church being God's plan A kind of to disciple you mm-hmm. essentially you know I don't know if you've heard him go on about that but um, I yeah. think that's been his refrain for quite some time and um, I love it and you know it's always just an opportunity to get people to to sort of cue in on that and you know people don't know about that they have um they just you know people don't factor the church in at all when it comes to discipleship or the great commission or you know they do their own thing you know and so the idea of yeah. bringing the church into that front and center place and even for discipleship it's um it's important it's usually quite a game changer when people you know come on to that and um anyway so you know we're going to be looking at that for the next three weeks and um it's pretty cool that we're doing some ecclesiological stuff while we're at it you know in uh, including members and installing after we even got a members meeting going usually not so exciting but in the series pretty awesome <laughs> and uh, yeah all that kind of stuff so that's that's my day <laughs> now chris just before we go on i got to tell you also um i'm smoking a cherry tobacco right now and um, last time I mentioned that, um, I'm speaking funny because a pipe is in my face. <laughs> uh, but last time I mentioned that on the show, um, uh, Menton Tribe, I don't know what, what's your real name, Menton Tribe, uh, from Instagram, got hold of me and uh, just asked if I had, because I mentioned uh, it was the Captain Black Red Sky. Uh, you hadn't smoked that, right, Chris? I haven't. You've had Captain Black, though. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fairly commonplace? In the U.S. of A. Yeah, it's in um, even like regular drugstores, just over the counter. Bro, the glory land. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine a place such as this where they sell tobacco <laughs> of that caliber in a in a drugstore? Come on, <laughs> and and, um, and also along with your great Swisher Sweet cigars. I mean, <laughs> those things are just next level. But anyways, oh he said. Um, he said, uh, he sent me a link, uh, Tewksbury Hobbit Weed Match Terry Tobacco. Have you ever had that? Mm. Uh, it's this place called fournoggins.com. Oh, yeah. I've Do you know about that one? Yeah. Have you ordered from them? Not yet, but um, they carry some things that I can't find anywhere else, so I may start ordering from no them. No kidding. Yeah, I wonder if they ship all the way to New Zealand. That's always the, the thing. Well. Uh, I need to get back to New Zealand and then I can bring you yeah. some things. I know. We're gonna, yeah, totally. We'll have to <laughs> mule you right up for that moment. <laughs> we have to figure new and creative ways. Um, but yeah, cool. There we go. So if anyone's interested in a cherry tobacco, this comes highly recommended from one uh, committed listener from Two Age Sojourner. And he's all the way in South Africa. Um, oh, cool. So that's awesome. And he actually knows the guy who I, used to, I, I did my internship with which is amazing. Wow. Yeah. 
anyway, so that's my day. How have, how's your week been? <laughs> uh, I've had better weeks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I uh, lost my water heater all over the floor in the basement. Fortunately, Ooh. it has not destroyed the library or the podcast equipment. But uh, yeah, no, that's what happened last time just before we recorded. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just uh, you've you've been lemony snicket. Is he the unfortunate <laughs> events guy? Is that him? Yes. Yeah, yes, that's exactly my week. <laughs> um, All right. Well, hey, God is good. He's provided. So. so you're breaking up a little bit, Chris. I'm going to switch up the video. Let's see if that helps. Um, okay. Cool. All right. I um, Enough talk. Let's Klein. Okay. Klein it is. All right. Or oh, not Klein, actually. Let's Kahi. <laughs> We're doing uh, Chris's book. If you don't know about this, we are wanting to, uh, well, we've kind of made our way through, I suppose, most, most of it, half of it. More, a little over half, um, mm-hmm. uh, on the tale of two atoms. So you can just Google the tale of two atoms, throw Klein in there as a Google search name, and throw Chris Kahi's name in there, and it should have come up. And um, it's uh, freely downloadable or purchasable. So get yourself one. There's no excuse, um, and uh, you can always just uh, go back and listen to old recordings to to catch up if you wanted to. Um, but what I'm going to do is just kind of pick it up from more or less after, I remember we talked about uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth after Noah. Do you remember talking mm. about that? Yes. That was right. And then I think we talked about, I don't want to miss it if we didn't talk about it, but I'm pretty sure we spoke about uh, God walking between the pieces and the covenant of grace. I even made the snide comment that uh, some some Reformed Baptists don't want to see that as a covenant of grace. And I'm just... <laughs> Not entirely sure how that works. So there we go. Covenant of Grace. We looked at that. And then uh, moving on from that point, let's just kind of more or less pick it up from there. Um, The covenant of the Abrahamic covenant uh, just keeps moving and expanding and and pointing forward by the time Jacob is uh, sort of prophesying the next steps at the end of Genesis. You're looking at a king over all nations with the land from the tribe of Judah. And and it's just just being uh, developed and developed and developed. And, um, and even as Jacob dies and as Abraham died, they, they um, as Hebrews tells us, they, they died in faith and really they looked forward to something beyond anything that would ever be given merely to Israel. Um, and so mm. really possessed the same faith at that essential level um, and the same hope that, that we have as Christians. Um, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add there by that, in that section before we move on, Chris. Just that um, in the course of Abraham's story, um, we see that God promised Abraham a land, a king, and a people. And so Klein likes to point out that there's a a two-level fulfillment to Mm. those promises. Mm. And we see the first level in Israel as the people, um, the promised land of Canaan as the land and then, you know, a series of kings that we read about in the Old Testament um, as the first level fulfillment of that king promise. But then all of that um, is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, um, who redeems all people who share Abraham's faith. And uh, the, the land ultimately is the new heavens and the new earth, mm-hmm. not just a uh, geopolitical plot of land in the Middle East. Yeah, totally. And even as you say at the end of page 119, really we're looking at the new creation that Adam lost by the fall 
was being given to Abraham um, and is being given to us by grace. I, I like that because it's sort of, you know, you, you see the scope of it all. You've got to piece that thing together with the whole Bible story. And um, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the last Adam alone that he was looking forward to, that we look back to. And uh, as you say, unfortunately, many people miss the grandeur of that plan. Um, one of the reasons for that is that uh, merit starts to encroach, um, or at least uh, not encroach, but but get confused with grace. Um, mm. Well, I suppose the thing I'm thinking about is that they they want to find a way to incorporate that into a covenant of grace that fuses grace and works, uh, maybe in a very similar way to what you you see um, the Galatian heresy, you know, kind of or Paul dealing with in the Galatian heresy where faith and works are kind of what's needed to ultimately enter the land. And um, and then, you know, other people want to um, completely take the idea of merit away and so not have um, Abraham, if they think of Abraham, um, they, they, they want to sort of put it into a different bucket. I'm thinking of dispensationalists and perhaps mm. uh, those who, you know, if they just smell anything, of any kind of merit or works-ish uh, uh, flavor. They just, hey, that's the Old Testament. That's got nothing to do, nothing to do with the new. Um, and so there are all sorts of things there. And I think, um, although you deal, deal with it later in the chapter, um, what is, what is, how are we to understand what happens with um, Abraham's, um, you know, that language that I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, Norman Shepherd got hold of, uh, concerning what Abraham needed to do, um, in, in, you know, in terms of uh, his obedience, walk before me and be blameless. Well, how are we to, mm. how are we to make sense of that and still understand this as a covenant of grace? That's a great question, and I mean, part of what's going on with Shepherd is he he sees that verse that you just mentioned, but he also wants to deny any covenant of works anywhere. And so he wants to just take merit as a category out of the entire equation. Yes. Um, and, you know, maybe at first glance that seems um, like a good thing, like you're, uh, you know, putting a hedge around God's grace and protecting yeah. it from um, us contributing our, our works to that. But um, like I point out um, on page 120, hmm. um Merit just refers to what an action deserves. Yeah. And so it's not a big, scary boogeyman. It's, yeah. it, it just means what an action deserves. So if, the, if there's no merit, then actions don't deserve anything. And yeah. so um, not only does obedience not deserve a reward, which there's a whole crowd out there cheering as I say that, but it mm. also means that disobedience does not deserve punishment. Mm. Mm. And... Um, that that kind of quiets that same crowd. So mm. we, we need we need merit in order for God's justice to mean something. And then we need merit in order for grace to mean something as well. Yeah. I you know, we mentioned Piper last last week, I think, but um, you know, I, he comes to mind with this whole thing as well. Because yes. I know that he wants to, you know, exactly how you've described it. Those who reject the idea of merit probably think that they've saved God's grace from the errors of legalism and antinomianism. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's exactly what Piper wants to do. And yeah, I mean, you know, probably uh, there's more to say there, but 
yeah, it's it's just so counterintuitive. Well, they 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 achieve exactly the opposite. Uh, they bring legalism in uh, through that very measure because they're unable to understand the whole way that grace works to begin with. So it's a, I think for someone reading this book and this chapter, and then maybe who goes on to read, you know, Klein or whatever else, um, that would that would probably be quite a paradigm shift. You know, just to what you've just said as well, you know, that merit needs its place. Um, Otherwise, judgment falls away. Otherwise, blessing falls away. Otherwise, the gospel falls away. Uh, You have to keep it there. You just have to understand, you know, how it works. So, you know, coming back to um, the Abrahamic covenant, though, you you sort of, you know, here we are describing the covenant having been ratified as God himself walks through the pieces and receives the judgment upon himself, or at least you know, vows to walk in the way of the cross, as it were. Right. Um, and, and then, like, straight, well, not straight after that, but, you know, in the next few chapters, you have uh, this command to walk before me and be blameless um, and to, uh, you know, do these things. And, and then, uh, you know, I think of Isaac, you know, he, uh, you know, he gets tested. He sacrifices. Well, is willing to sacrifice Isaac. Gets stopped, and then, and then uh, the Lord says to him, you know, because you have done these things, you will have the kingdom. You know, um, right? What's the deal with that? How does that work in 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 a grace alone? I mean, it seems like he has truly merited something. Yeah. So, I mean, as I look at, for example, Genesis chapter fifteen. Um, that looks to me to be completely unilateral. God is saying, I am giving this to you, and if I don't keep my promise, may what has happened to these butchered animals happen to me. Yeah. Um, what I think you're picking up on in chapter 18 of Genesis is um, uh, Abraham acting as sort of a type of Christ. It doesn't mean that the entire covenant that God made with Abraham is a covenant of works like the covenant of redemption that we've already discussed in a yeah. previous episode between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But um, Abraham is, um, I hope this isn't too uh, crass of a way of putting it, but almost like acting out yeah. what Jesus is going to do for yeah. us. Yeah. Well, it makes sense in terms of that first level fulfillment thing. Yeah. You know, what I found so helpful about Klein and um, and perhaps even, um, although pr- probably you've had more interaction with the Reformed Baptists than I have, um, but what I felt, if, you know, in dealing with the, um, the, the 1689 federalism thing, I think I get frustrated because, you know, it doesn't account for uh, the grace thing that we looked at last week. You know, you've got... Um, chapter 15, the ratification, it's its not hitting it from Galatians, it's not hitting it from that text. Uh, it's not really seeing this amazing sort of obvious, gracious principle involved there. And, um, and uh, it's easy to see. No one really, I don't think anyone has trouble seeing that there's something works-ish going on in, um, in chapter 17. And, 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 and so really the question is not, okay, you know, is that at that point a covenant of works of grace? The question, the thing has to account for both of those things that happened. And I think, um, I think where, where everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon of, of um, chapter uh, 18, um, they do so uh, without being able to explain the, the grace element of ratification in chapter 15. Whereas Klein, I thought the, the genius of Klein's system there 
was that he is able to give full credence to those uh, that works language, you know, in the same way that mm-hmm. we would talk about Christ, you know, earning our salvation. Right. Uh, but right. but he simply just puts it into a first level fulfillment, you know, and and, and that I understand by way of typology, uh, that that first fulfillment, and um, therefore pointing to its you know substance in Christ, but in no way and undoing the grace that has already been established in chapter fifteen, you know. So it seems to me the the, the view that best harmonizes all of the, the 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 texts you know does that make sense absolutely and yeah. you know i think we see something similar going on with noah yeah um, Noah is a great example get, yeah 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 get that same kind of flavor um with him and yet it's clear at the end of that whole story that he is not um the righteous one who's earning anything for anybody in any yeah. ultimate kind of sense totally um Klein talks about that often, doesn't he? I mean, he talks about the whole, you've got to really understand that idea, you know, to understand the Bible properly. You've got this, um, you know, you've got the individual sinner saved by grace, Noah, and then you've got his typological character, so to speak, that works on top of that, pointing to Christ. And so it's not really, if you think about it that way, as you said, you've got it in Noah, you know, you, you just... It's not that much of a thing where by the time you get to Abraham, all all you're amazed by is... um, you know, like, wow, look what God is doing by way of type and shadow. It's not like it's cutting into the, the grace concept at all, you know. Um, and like I said, if you have to, I feel like it's a strong challenge to those who think it is a, um, at that point, a covenant of works. You know, they have to account for Genesis 15. They have to account for Galatians, uh, you know, which, which talks about the covenant of grace being ratified at that point. So, you know, I don't know. It, it seems, again... To, to just sort of be in, in keeping with what you then read over and over again um, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Um, kind of strayed a little bit away from the chapter, though. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's what Reformed Baptists will do that to you. Um, <laughs> um, so, okay, looking at um, page, what am I on, 121. Um, you do just on that point. What we may be thinking about baptism and um, and Baptists. Do you want to give us a, a quick rundown of that? Um, I know Klein differs a little bit from, and we might have mentioned that last week. I can't remember. It just d- differs a little bit from the um, maybe typical Reformed approach, where where they would see a an inner co- a covenant of grace and a, um, a external covenant of grace, and uh, then a covenant of redemption. It seems that like Klein simplifies that some. And, um, uh, you know, feel free to work through the chapter on that. I think it's the next few pages. Um, got anything that comes to mind? Yes. The, the typical Reformed way, at least as I've learned it, to talk about this is that there's a, an inward and an outward covenant. Um, and Klein's not comfortable with that at all because he doesn't see that in the, the text of Scripture itself. Mm. Um, he does see covenant in scripture and he does see election in scripture mm. and he sees uh, if we uh, illustrate both of those things by circles he sees the covenant circle as bigger and broader than the election circle right. and so right. the election circle is within the covenant circle um, and he would say that not all who are members of the covenant are elect mm. but all members of, of the elect are Um, you know, in the covenant. Um, Right. I want to be gentle and respectful. Um, I see that I've talked some about Genesis 17 here. And 
my my ears perked up earlier with uh you included that in with the worksish uh part of all of this and what I'm about to say is definitely um, hand in glove with what I wrote in the book, but mm-hmm. it seems to me that, um, for example, in Romans chapter four, Paul interprets this um, covenant of circumcision in a very gracious way that um, uh, Abraham was um, actually Abraham himself was credited as righteous before he was circumcised, but then um, you know, his children were to be circumcised before um, making a profession of faith. But then it's interesting to me that other places in the New Testament, when circumcision is kind of tied to works of the law, mm. um, they're looking more at the at the Mosaic Covenant at that point. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Totally. Without a doubt. Um, so that's why I, I said what I said about Genesis 17 and, and circumcision here. Right. Um, I mean, Got it. It oh, I see. Was... Yeah, because circumcision essentially gets instituted there. Now the Reformed Baptists are saying, "Well, look at all those, um, look at all those texts that sort of connect circumcision and the law." But and you're saying, um, "No, no, hang on. That that's all mostly doing, uh, mostly to do with a later stage in mosaic economy, essentially, and uh, don't yeah. necessarily have bearing to to what um, to what was going on with Abraham." There is that is that more or less it. Yeah, I think okay. that's a fair. Cool, cool. Yeah, totally. I mean, I don't, I don't think I ever really took that line of reasoning anyway. So it hasn't had too much resonance with me. But I, th- I think you know, I've heard them say that, so I get it. Have you just sorry? So, quick, quick question. Just this is going to totally interrupt you. But um, have you ever <laughs> read uh, Paul King Jewett's, um Infant Baptism and the Covenant of Grace? Have I asked you that before? About I think about twenty years ago. And oh, it wasn't yes, that the was whole the thing, but parts of it, you yeah. know. Okay, totally. Yeah, because uh, the reason I bring that up is it's almost like a non-issue if you take his line of reasoning, you know, mm. <laughs> as a Reformed Baptist, which I love. I'm constantly um, pushing that book. Now, I realize, obviously, there's still going to be disagreement on, you know, subjects of baptism and whatnot. But I don't know. The, the, for me, it's like it is – really, it becomes a matter more of, I don't know, um, over-realized slash under-realized eschatology or something along those lines more than anything that is being discussed today um, amongst Reformed Baptists concerning whether the, the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant of works or grace. I mean, he just goes he goes ahead and says, listen, 100%, you know, to everything that the Reformed guys have said. Of, co- of course, what he would um, want to affirm is the inner, outer covenant of grace distinction um you know as Klein pointed out that kind of you know is not that great if you want to hang on to to peter baptism but yeah he he um you know he got onto that and he was like listen okay fine you know all of that fine typology fine uh we just work it through fine no worries and then there's just i suppose a discontinuity by way of what peter baptist would view baptist as saying as an over-realized eschatology um we just think it's a normal you know, it's a, it is it is right, and um, and so you know what that where that leaves me when I'm interacting with you know reformed guys is I, I'm just like I just agree with everything they're saying <laughs> all the time. You know what I mean? Like there's hardly ever a time where I'm feeling. In fact, I mostly disagree with Klein. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. But yeah, it's kind of a weird situation to be because I'm I'm not really on the same page as the reformed Baptists in terms of their critique of reformed theology. Mm. You know, and um, and also, <laughs> and also, um, that means like with this work stuff, with the you know the the typology element, you know where Klein talks about chapter seventeen and 
and um, and you know Abraham standing as a type of Christ, and that's the reason everything's happening the way it's happening, and you got the substrata thing. I mean, I'm just loving that. I think that's 100% totally correct. You know, this is mm. it sits very very well with me. So similarities and nuances and differences, but I don't know. Uh, hopefully that's helpful for someone. Um, now I bet you can't even remember what you were saying. <laughs> I can't. I confess. All right. So you take clients for you. You are working through Covenant of Grace. Let me just page through the sucker and see where we are. Um, jumping over the the infant baptism thing. Um, Oop, there it went. Um, it, I see that I reproduced the diagram that I was talking about with the covenant circle and the election yes, circle. Yes, you got that there. Yep, totally. Um the next thing I suppose is just to kind of think about the faith issue. And you talk about the faith, uh, the, you know, whether faith itself is a work, mm. um, and you know, what are you concerned to show them? Right. Um, well, if you're like me, you, uh, grew up in more of an Arminian, um, yes. Theological context. And so, um, so that wasn't Norman Shepard that said that, um, he he may have, right. yeah, and I mean, um, I just thought he might have wanted to go down that track if he wants to show. See, faith is a work, and we're kind of cool with that, and you know, therefore works and grace, and it's all of grace, and that kind of thing. I'm I'm not seeing a footnote here, but my memory is that um, it was it was more just the slippery emphasis that he gave to the. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Hmm. See, it was Abraham's faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, there's a, <laughs> a a helpful way to do that and an unhelpful way. Right. Right. Um, so I guess I was taking on both Shepherd and Arminianism yep. there, and saying, um, when put on the scales of God's justice, our our faith fails. But it is simply empty outstretched hands that receive God's gift. Um, yeah. And, and faith itself is God's gift to us. So what, what do you think of the whole, um, do they call the reformers used to call it, um, uh, what was it again? A passive work. What do you hmm. think of that statement or expression, a passive work? I think what they were trying to get at. <laughs> you don't like the word work. Um, I think, yeah, because what they were getting at is it is an action. You know, it's a, and it's not like we're not doing anything when we believe, but it's it's non meritorious. It's passive. It's the water through. It's the pipe through which the water flows, rather than the water itself. Sure. You know. Um, so I'd rather I'd rather recast that in my cause and effect analysis and uh -huh. say that. Um, God and his grace is the cause and our faith is then the effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get it. Cause you're right here. Uh, it was not Abraham's faith that was imputed to him for righteousness, but it was what God had promised Christ's perfect obedience. What did they talk about? The alone instrument in the, <laughs> in the confession. Have you ever heard that expression? Yeah. You must have. It's the alone I instrument. Have. It's so weird. It's, <laughs> So it's a Puritan way of saying faith alone. I mean, it's faith apart from works. Exactly. Faith is, as you write here, the, simply the instrument by which we re receive Christ's righteousness. Uh, I love your illustration. When you handed the best gift of your entire life, you don't say, wow, 
Look at my empty outstretched hands. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that would be weird if you did that. So exactly, exactly weird. that same sort of thing. The, you know, no one's impressed with the pipe. They, they just want it as the, the, the thing through which to receive the water. Um, yes, uh, or the yeah. tobacco. Oh, okay. If we're talking <laughs> that kind of pipe. Well, that might backfire on us because we're often impressed with the oh. pipe. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah, I mean, so I, the, the pipe that delivers water. You're I think right. I think we got to stick to like like plastic PVC pipe, something <laughs> something unimpressive. Yeah, because dude, I'm holding my pipe and I'm looking at it and going, dude, that's a nice pipe. That would totally be the worst <laughs> illustration of what we're talking about ever. <laughs> okay, scratch that. <laughs> yeah, scratch that. Um, all right, so. Um, then we get on to James, which is another big, so we've looked at Abraham and, and perhaps uh, some sort of kickback people might have in terms of um, the way that Abraham's kind of um, typology uh, seems to go against what's happening with the covenant of grace. In the New Testament, you got the book of James, uh, the one that Luther wanted to leave out and uh, just just didn't like it at all. The epistle of straw. Um, is that what he called it? Yes. Yeah. At least early on, he did. Yeah. Right. And then, and then he came around. Letha was hot-headed mm-hmm. like that. It's all good. <laughs> um, but you give a great description as to you know, and especially in the footnotes. Um, these are I really appreciated the footnotes here. But um, what's going on with James? Like he, well, he, he talks about. He says you're justified not by your faith, but by your works. Right. And so um, part of the issue is. Um, He's using faith in a little bit of a unique way. Uh, we need to understand that in the New Testament, there are three aspects to faith. Um, the uh, I'm, I'm just remembering the Latin a, terms. A but census, notitia, and what is the other one? Fiducia. Fiducia, that's it, yeah. Yeah, and so the ascensus is just a, a bare intellectual grasp um, of the fact um uh not, notitia is the um agreement that that fact you know actually was a historical reality right and so that's actually the kind of faith that demons have mm-hmm. um uh in James 219 right Th- they do believe that Jesus died on the cross for sinners yeah uh they just you know completely reject uh you know, that that would have anything to do with them. Yes. Um, and so that's really the difference then between those two aspects of faith and then this fiducia or fiducia, however the correct way to pronounce it is, right. uh, that um, this fact is true for me. So mm. it's not only true that Jesus died on a cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but fiducia says he did that for me. Mm. Um mm. And so what James is saying is, um, no, you can't be justified by a census or uh, notitia. You can't mm. just say, yeah, it happened and mm. think that you're going to be saved. Right. Uh, it has to be the kind of faith that says, no, he did it for me. And then when James talks about uh, when he uses that term justified, he's using it more in the evidential sense yeah. that... Um, Verified your, your good works. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The good works that you do uh verify, like you just said, mm-hmm. that you you are justified. Yeah. That's what he's getting at. 
and in that sense is 100% in sync with Paul. You know? Yes. Um, yeah, totally. It, it's, do you think, I mean, why would they have used faith so differently? Have you got any idea? You know, I'm just thinking if they had talked, if James and <laughs> Paul had talked <laughs> and they were, you know, hey, I'm going to run with this whole salvation by faith alone thing. It's really going to mess it up. If you come along and say faith, you're not justified by faith alone. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if they actually, uh, were they just not in conversation at all? Or just interesting. Well, I mean, I could see somebody um, having heard Paul or po- possibly read Paul um, and then coming to James's church and saying, oh, yeah, I believe that stuff. Um, but meaning it in sort of a, I don't, do you know the game Trivial Pursuit? You yeah, know, where yeah. it's just a bunch of yeah. random facts that doesn't matter whether they make any difference in your life or not. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, do you think then that uh, James might have actually, when he says you're not justified by faith, do you actually, would he have, would he have had a Pauline sort of statement in mind, do you think? Mm. I know we're kind of punching above the pay grade here, but. Yeah, exactly. A little, little, bit, little <laughs> bit of speculation, you know? Hey, that's what makes Kleinians tick. At the end of the day, we're all about exactly. Our but I can hear, I can hear my New Testament scholar friends saying, "Kahi, stay in your lane." <laughs> Sorry. See, I don't, I don't play by those rules. I just, I just drive in everybody's lane. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you think about how much ink has been spilled over this issue, and and yet how it's brought clarity to you know the faith and works relationship and you know it's almost like provoked the church to think about it and study it and so there might be an angle there in terms of god's wisdom in revealing it that way but um yeah i mean certainly it's true what, what we are saying is that what james is saying what paul is saying that you can't just have a faith that is alone um and it's not that you at that point are you know capitulating to some sort of um, legalism you just i mean that's always the thing and and, and coming back to abraham the whole, even there, there is some element of that, right? I, you know, hey, you've just been saved by grace, therefore go for, you know, walk before me in, uh, blamelessly. Uh, you're just responding to the grace you've received. It's a evangelical obedience at some level. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So, uh, and to go back to James for just a second, yeah. I, um, it's like he's saying, look, you can't just rattle off the creed hmm. um, or in James's own context, you can't just recite the Shema mm. um, and think that you've done enough. I mean, mm. if we're thinking of the Apostles' Creed, you can't just say that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, and if you don't believe that he suffered for you under Pontius Pilate, that's doing you, like, no good whatsoever. Mm. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And and being provocative with these language in that regard, just saying, mm-hmm. think about this. It's almost like... Um, Wow, I got a great analogy for you. You're going to love this one. Uh, <laughs> this is nearly as good as your pipe tobacco um, pipe okay. receiving smoke through your pipe thing. <laughs> All right. I hope you're picking up my, my sarcasm. But um, uh, <laughs> how about this? It's almost like a Kleinian. Um, you know, I've picked up a Kleinian sort of line about grace alone and then went to John Frame's class. <laughs> and John Frame had to respond. And kind of came up with these ultra perspectivalism thing. Wow. <laughs> Drum roll, please. I'm not going to take the bait, Mike. <laughs> don't, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Anyway, so that brings us to the conclusion. Um, you say, unlike Norman uh, Shepard, we ought to understand the story of Abraham's obedient 
points us to Christ's obedience because Christ's obedience is the only salvation that is available. Um, so I suppose that's a good wrap-up in terms of um, beyond even his own evangelical obedience. There was something distinctive going on with Abraham as a type of Christ. That's the first level fulfillment of the covenant of grace. It's all leading to Christ himself, who then uh, is the substance. That's not to say that they were saved um, in any other way. Looking forward to that hope, but simply that there was this first level that needs to be accounted for and helps us, uh, helps us just to appreciate what's going on by way of merit even in that typology, um, without in any way compromising uh, the covenant of grace. Is that a good wrap-up, or did I say something wrong there? I think that's perfect. Okay. Um, yeah. Because what Shepard was all about was saying that every covenant was an admixture of um, promise and obligation. Right. So I was yeah. trying to sort that out. Totally. Yeah, so you can, you know, I just, again, coming back to what I, th- I thought was really just so helpful with with clients the first level second level fulfillment thing i mean it's just uh and i suppose this carries on going as you think about republication and whatnot and i know you're going to get there but um it's just it's just a way to kind of you don't have to you don't have to lighten what you're seeing by way of works in the old testament you just have to know what to do with it you just have to see what it's ultimately standing for mm-hmm. and um and as soon as you get that understand you get that two level thing going on and uh, the covenant of grace undergirding it all i think that's just so incredibly helpful just in reading your bible you know just in the just just you get to little parts in the bible where you know i think you'd be totally thrown if you didn't understand this and um yes and so it's really worth just um even if this particular episode didn't sort it all out for you hopefully what it did is just uh get you asking some questions do you know what we're even talking about maybe you should read this chapter and you know go go ahead and look at um do you put footnotes to kingdom prologue on this chapter by the way or not Mm, is it all kind of assumed it's all assumed yeah totally all right so you just gotta go and find your own way Chris hasn't helped you in that regard. <laughs> no roadmap here. But, uh, you know, if you pick up Kingdom Prologue, you, you'll get more pretty quickly. So, um, yeah. It, it, what sucks about Kingdom Prologue, this is one of the things. I, it's, it's like all the action starts right at the end. Have you noticed that? <laughs> right. Right as he's about to close. There's like, a, that's where a all the gold is. Yeah. How on yeah. earth? It's so unfair. It's so unfair to, like, ask people to, you know, get through all of that stuff up front. And then you give the gold. He needs to make a, we need to make a booklet. Someone needs to make a booklet of that last little bit where you try, where you sort of, you know, the Mosaic Covenant deal. And, um, and just that's try a, to That's understand. a good idea. Yeah. It's just a little accessible booklet. Uh, man, if it happens, you heard it here first, folks. You know, this is where it started. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, just because, wow. I mean, like, I remember getting to that part thinking, oh, my goodness, thank you, Lord, for helping me, helping me, <laughs> you know, wait this out to this point. Not like the other stuff mm. was uninteresting, but that's truly the part where it shines. It's just on what we're talking about right now on this, you know, it feels like the whole book comes together at that point where you're understanding he's been sitting at this this first level fulfillment thing and the two layers mm-hmm. um you know, typological works over grace. And so anyways, what we could say, but you conclude, uh, we don't have another diagram. We do. We do have another. Uh, yes, we've already looked at the diagram, up. didn't we? Oh, no, we didn't. Well, we, looked at, <laughs> we looked at the circle diagram of covenant and election. Yeah. But let's see, on page. We've got like subs with, with lower deck <laughs> and babies and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so starting what, on page 132, 132 we're back to the, the submarine yeah um and the emphasis here is that there is continuity in this covenant of saving grace 
Um, yeah. And it runs from the fall into the new creation. And um, the point is that it doesn't end at final judgment. It consummates into uh, the new creation, whereas the covenant of common grace does terminate at uh, the final judgment there. And then, yes, we do go on to another um, illustration on page 133, um, that the church is the only institution uh, in the, the covenant of grace, whereas in the covenant of common grace, uh, there are the, the institutions of family, state, and culture. Right. Just a bit of a double back and clarification on what you were saying in common grace there as well. Just, um, yeah, yeah th- now you have a, an even a deeper theological basis to say that stuff. So that's good. Um, okay, brilliant. I think that's a, that's a wrap. Um, just having a look at this last little bit here. Just some good, solid wraps there. Oh, here we go. Let's close with this one. This is good. Try and make the Abrahamic covenant of grace into a covenant of works by introducing conditions to be met and obligations to be fulfilled is to launch an attack on the gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. There we go. It's a little bit long to get tattooed somewhere, (laughs) but it's a great one to remember and a good, I think, summary of the chapter. But if somebody gets that tattooed, I'll give them a free copy of the book. (laughs) (laughs) You'd need your whole back. You need the whole, you'd have to do the whole thing. (laughs) I think my my brother has got a tattoo. It says, wretched man, uh, that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans seven twenty four twenty five, and that's all. <laughs> that's all beneath uh, the Luther rose. You know, it's got the Luther rose oh, on wow. top, and it's all done in his arm. And we took it to the tattoo guy, and he was like, "Dang, that's a mouthful of lyrics, bro." <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, he, he couldn't believe we wanted all of that, <laughs> and so, and so he's got this like, he's got this script on his arm. But I think this would even be even be longer this you'd need the whole um or the whole back or something <laughs> anyway enough that's talk right. about tattoos um that's good thank you hope you uh, are tracking with us and uh just read along in the chapter if you have got lost and uh, meet us back here next monday and we'll continue with the next one thanks a million chris really appreciate it my pleasure mike thanks for having me <laughs>